1: Hello! Welcome to the climax. This is the, our season finale. It is. It is the end of the season. Well, the end of the season, not the end of the series, hopefully. Mm-hmm. We are planning to be back for another series. We
2: are indeed, but Bess is not happy with me because I've just sprayed a lot of... Um, Okay, okay. Fly, spray. Fly, spray. fly spray all
1: over the room All, all the windows are closed obviously It's 20 because... degrees outside and now the room is full of fly spray Yeah but there's, there's fewer flies No there's the same <laughs> number of flies Jelly Because you didn't spray it very well okay, so Anyway welcome to apologize. this very erotic podcast <laughs> About your sex life And fly spray Luckily Jelly is better at giving good opinions than she is at killing flies I thought you were going to say come from <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like sex does really come to this <laughs> Season
2: finale sharing my tips Um so what are we talking about today? So we're we're doing a sort
1: of end of season We're doing a roundup. A roundup, a recap, a, a highlight of the best bits. We're gonna talk about the biggest questions that came out of the series. We're gonna talk about um the things that we've learned, we're gonna talk about the questions that maybe still haven't been answered. Mm. Um and we're as ever gonna have some amazing guests and we're gonna answer some listener questions. Yeah, and review some toys. And review some toys. That is how this show goes. It is
2: what are some of the things that you think we've discussed like has come up a lot in conversation during this season? I think we've talked a lot about like
1: confusion and myths so mm. the things that people believe that aren't accurate I think the big ones of that have been like um, not uh, penis size people don't love huge penises <laughs> That's, really that's nice. a really important discussion to be having mm-hmm. um, and also uh, orgasms we've talked a lot about the fact that women, generally speaking don't orgasm i do I, I quite a different statistic every week it's in the high 70s of yeah. women who don't orgasm for penetrative sex mm.
2: um
1: and i just i still meet women to this day who don't know that mm. so i think yeah there's been a lot But we talked a lot about myths um, i think also we talked about stigma like there's still stigma which yeah. is about prom- promiscuity having a lot of sex having not much sex and i think actually i've realized over the course of of the last eight weeks that um you be, women basically feel bad about whatever they're doing. Mm. Too much sex, guilty. Not enough sex, guilty. So much shame. So, so much, much shame. shame.
2: I think one of the things I kind of have realised through the conversations that we've had with women throughout this show is that there is so much more inequality in sex than we think and we think mm. that we're in this world now where like post feminism and post me too where everyone's way more like woke and awakened um, to problems but actually when it comes to sex it feels like there's still so far to go a in terms of like communication and dialogue like women not talking about things they're not happy with and also um, in relationships that it is a bit of a given sometimes that a woman doesn't doesn't orgasm or it's a bit of a given that she has to give him head whatever it is there is so much I feel that's just not equal really? and we've talked to women of all different kind of backgrounds and sexuality and all kinds of things and it just feels like this is quite a norm yeah um like last week when we had Talani on who was talking about how black men won't want to date girls that have had lots of sexual mm. partners yeah. and just so much stuff that's just prejudiced towards women And also hopefully what this episode will do as we have experts on the show and we have a counsellor is unpick some of the things that we've noticed kind of as trends that we've been talking about with women and perhaps go a little bit deeper into why these things are happening. So look at the psychological elements of why casual sex is going wrong or why women
1: can't talk about consent and we can understand a bit more of that. So the idea of what we've done with this episode is that we've brought in actual experts because we've had a lot of amazing people on the podcast but they've mostly been women in their 20s Mm -hmm. so we've now got um some people who are a bit more sort of technically experienced in the area in the arena of sex and sexuality to analyze everything we've talked about previously so it's a slightly different discussion i think Mm -hmm. but i'm really i think i'm really excited about it i think it's going to be a really useful way to round off the season
2: yeah because as we know now having a lot of sex doesn't make you an expert in sex So joining us today, we have Sarah, who runs an organisation called Scarlet Ladies, and we also have... We have Julius, who's a counsellor, and he's been a counsellor for many years, and and a psychotherapist. And he specifically deals in, mostly, people in the
1: 20s. Mm. Bye.
2: So for this week's episode, we're joined by uh, Sarah from Scarlet Ladies. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, the survey that
3: you've done recently and about your work? Sure. So Scarlet Ladies, um, I founded together with my now best friend because we felt that um, we needed a place to talk about sex because it's something that's really not done. And um, we've done a campaign last year to talk about the, the importance of um why different women might feel the need to talk about sex. And this year we wanted to sort of weigh in on that with actual facts. And we wanted to find out how do women actually feel about their sexuality? And how comfortable are they to talk about that? And is there a relation to how, how good they feel about their sexuality in comparison to how comfortable they feel about talking about it? So that's how the, how this campaign and this survey came about. And what were some
2: of the findings from the survey?
3: Well, for me, what really stood out was that when we can talk about it, when we can talk about sex, it really makes us feel better about it. So, um, for example, we found that women who said in the survey that they're really uncomfortable with their sexuality and with sex in general were 10 times more likely to not have anyone that they can talk to about sex, including their partners. Which I think is really sad.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is very sad. Um, I think it's interesting. I I wonder whether there's like um, whether how comfortable you are talking about sex is kind of demographic. Because I've I've always spoken about sex with my friends and always felt very comfortable doing that.
2: Mm. Um,
1: and I want and we grew up talking about sex. But then I guess I went to all girls' school, so maybe that's part of it.
2: Yeah, it's um, like different socioeconomic. Yeah. maybe talk about it less or more yeah. depending. My, I think my guy friends talk about it a lot less. Mm. And if they were having, I, I just know from my boyfriend, like if we were having sex problems, he wouldn't go and speak to his male friends. Like, I imagine he wouldn't really go speak to anyone. Mm. Um, so I wonder also how much that's reflected on the male side, whether there was lots of men who are also aren't talking to anyone and aren't happy about their sex life.
1: Yeah. Do you think different types of women are more or less likely to talk about it?
3: Yes, definitely. I think... Um, or what the survey has shown is that women um, that are, so in the younger demographic, 25 to 34, um, are most likely to feel uncomfortable with their sexuality and with having sex. Um, and something that we found at our events is that sort of the younger the women are, the more um, inauthentic the conversation is. Because very often when people do talk about sex, what you hear is a, sort of more of a bragging conversation rather than a real true you know what this is what happened last night and either this was really cool or this was really not it's really
1: interesting because that's so the opposite of my experience it could not be more different from my experience yeah
2: that's interesting so i was going to say that it also from from my kind of friends that feels very different because i always feel like we talk about things in a very vulnerable and open Mm -hmm. way about things not being good and rather than things being really good yeah i actually can't even put up many memories of my girlfriends coming to me when their sex has been good no
1: I can't um, imagine one of my friends saying to me, we had inc- well, like, we like had incredible sex last night. It just doesn't...
2: I feel really embarrassed when I say yeah. that I had amazing sex. I don't know why. I feel like it does feel quite braggy and quite... I feel like I don't need... To.
1: It's like, well, I wouldn't go and be like, guys, I just had the best haircut. Or like, guys, oh my God, you would not... You can't believe how clear my skin is right now. Mm. Like, I think I tend to share with my friends when I need support yeah for than... sure we
2: actually have a bit of like a code word in our friendship group because um I, I realised that my boyfriend and I weren't having as much sex as we used to and I think I realised it was often because we were coming home and making quite elaborate dinners mm. and you'd make like an elaborate dinner it would take like an hour and then you sit down and then by the time the whole like meal and everything was over like you weren't really in the mood you a bit tired from work so we developed a new system where once a week we have a tray bake <laughs> and we put something in the oven which cooks itself for an hour so you just put all whatever it is all the vegetables the chicken tray bake and it's our little code word where we say oh you're in me for tray bake tonight which sounds ridiculous yeah. but sometimes you no, have to make like a bit of a joke out of it yeah and all my friends know that this was like a problem and we sort of solved it in this um yeah. slow cooking method so um so now <laughs> my serious. friends say like how's your tray baking or whatever it is and we, we and i ask her is your tray baking going well i think that's so great we yeah, have feel good. free to
1: take it we had a massive problem a couple of years ago i think it was 2015 where you remember when who goes was a thing being like that Danish being cosy thing yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, I always think it's heeg. called hygge hygge <laughs> anyway. yeah being um, cosy being cosy so Marcus and I decided that that hygge hygge that whatever it's called was really fun so every single we would be like hygge mm-hmm. so we'd like close the curtains turn the heat really high put on fleecy blankets watch like a scanty noir crime and eat loads of highly carbohydrate food <laughs> and I realised I was like we haven't had sex for like two weeks yeah. he was like it's all the hygge <laughs> and we looked at each other just swathed in fat and fleece and we were like, This has got to stop. Ugur <laughs> is, is so bad for your sex. Life. Like, are they having sex in Scandinavia? Like, does that happen? So, re- real thing, they had to bring in an incentivization program to get people to have kids. I think it was in Norway really? uh, because they just weren't having sex. The birth rate was like plummeting.
2: They were just too cozy. Fucking yoga. Too fucking yeah. Too cozy, too much porridge. Yeah, too much cozy. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> too much is.
1: of a good thing. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, back to the survey. Is there anything else interesting beyond Trey Bates and Hugo? Is there anything else interesting that you found
3: from your research? Or what shocked you the most that you found? Oh, what shocked me the most is that women um, tend to be comfortable to talk about, or more comfortable to talk about sex and even the use of sex toys. But when it comes to masturbation, um which i would say is really quite important um or using sex toys with a partner they become very uncomfortable and i wonder if there is still something around us sort of not feeling entitled to our own pleasure because i would think masturbation is absolutely vital for a good sex life because if, if i can't touch my own body if i'm ashamed to touch my own body then who who else gets to touch me mm.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that religion has some stuff to do with it in parenting, because I think there's a lot of um, if you're taught that things like that are sinful, that's very dangerous. Mm. Um, but I know experiences growing up because there's always this stuff on mum's net. I use mum's net a lot. Um, don't <laughs> so have, kids. don't have, kids. have kids, just love mum's net. Uh, where there are parents saying, "My daughter or son has started putting the hand on the pants in public. They're like two or three. How do I stop it?" And these parents are clearly, like, terrified and panicked and think it's a disaster. And I've probably been like, don't do that, that's naughty. Mm. Which is the, so your first experience of putting your hand on your pants, somebody mm. telling you that's naughty. And actually now there's a big movement to say, that's something we only do in private, that's something you only do on your own, mm. rather than saying stop it. Which I think hopefully will help tackle some of the shame around touching yourself.
2: Do you think some of our experiences are different because we went to boarding school, because I don't remember ever having, like, an opportunity, till I was literally
1: 18, to do it, Jenny, like was, Everyone else was wanking. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs>
2: Okay,
1: I just <laughs> want you to know, I once asked my girlfriends, who I was at boarding school with I was like, is there anybody else? Because we, we were in a dormitory, and they were like, yeah, of course everyone was, just really exciting. Oh my
2: god, we're well, like, I've, I mean, I'm 20, 27, I've just found this out. I
1: guarantee you, you were the only person in your But they would always put me
2: off, because I knew there were two, like, other people in the room, and then I just, that's just a mood killer. But did you not have, the, like, the divider thing? No, my school was properly open so when you were 18 you didn't have your own room Uh, when I was 18 I did but um up and I think till 16 it was open plan eight people in a room yeah it wasn't horny stuff it wasn't yeah. no
1: I oh, most bathroom. of my toilet break I think it's gonna be out. Oh yeah and also the, the problem is, is that if you take a in the shower everyone's like Rebecca's <laughs> having a whang yeah or also like they thought you were bulimic
3: so you Yeah. Too long and then the then bathroom, you get two in the
1: bathroom on some we, kind of a list
2: yeah,
3: yeah you got on a list and they weigh you <laughs> all the time someone's monitoring you eating oh, you are gonna special mind you so, if you come out of of the bathroom, and they say, "Oh, are you believe me?" So no, I just had a wank. That would touch them up, Ut, <laughs> shut them up. Yeah, it would, but then you'd be the girl who had a wank. Yeah, and true. that would, we yeah, weren't allowed electric toothbrushes,
1: toothbrushes at my school. Yeah. Well, but it was that for that examination
3: Yeah, yeah, because
2: yeah. yeah, you could masturbate with an electric
3: tooth. Yeah, I've heard. I have heard. That, what? Yeah. Well, I think. Do they know how the clitoris <laughs> works? I would not oh, have no, a brush. One hundred percent. Yeah, mine. you, you a handy can cover
1: it. in oh, sock. yeah,
3: it's totally fine. Oh, I like the way you think I was thinking brush it. I was thinking If it's a soft brush, it's
1: really fine. Oh, I don't have. I'm not sure they put the
3: actual brush on the no 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 it's fine if you have a really soft one so, yeah, i did been, there. been there, have the, you yeah. they limited it need the, to... <laughs> the girls um, dental hygiene for yeah. fear they might pleasure themselves that is ridiculous
1: mm, yeah, Isn't Isn't
2: how rhyme? Rhyme? It's it's time. yeah I actually find that quite
3: enraging to be yeah. honest that's
2: why we're making up for lost time now <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: <that's like> <laughs> sex podcast you know yeah uh.
2: Um, do you think there's still a big stigma around having sex and women talking about having sex? Do you think we're still not quite there in the competition? Yeah. Yes,
3: Yes, there's massive stigma still around that. And I know that from both the, the results of, of the um, survey as well as um, we've been running Scarlet Ladies now for going on to four years and we run events every single week and talking with these women, the kind of stuff that we hear over and over and over again women feeling guilty about experiencing pleasure feeling shame about you know having desires there's so much um that we still struggle with and i think the fact that we don't really talk about it Mm -hmm. in in that much and that there is still i feel like there's still many ways in which women are being shut up about it Mm. um and I i feel that doesn't help
1: yeah, no, I completely agree. I think there is a there's still a discomfort about women having too much sex. I still there are still people who will message me on Twitter being like it's biologically wrong women. Women don't want sex. Women aren't supposed to. It's it makes you less biologically compatible. And I tried to find out on Twitter that the reason that a penis is shaped the way it is is to scoop out the semen of your previous mate. Yes. Um, to try and give him the best chance of being the one who impregnated you. Um, and this person was very upset by this, told me that it was not the case. But there's a lot of, there's a
2: proper, like, study. There's a lot of people that don't want women to be having good sex, I think. Yeah. Especially on the internet.
1: Yes, well, they don't want to be having sex at all, ideally. Um. But if they are having sex only with one person. But, I'm not, but also there's a lot of crossover between that and incels, who are a community of people who are involuntary celibate, who think that they are owed sex and think that women not having sex with them is some sort of crime mm. but they also don't want me to have too much sex mm. so you do slightly wonder where that's going to work out and just, just just as an algebra problem i just think it's the it's the attitude generally that
2: women's sex lives are like a public thing like it's up for public discussion yes. and, and not a private thing where you're allowed to have as much or as little sex as you want but it's yeah. like we need to be decided same similar with contraception as well yes that like it's decided that the woman, you know, it's a public thing, and a guy
1: gets to say like, "Why mm. does a guy get a say?" And in terms don't. of contraception, you're supposed to use none, but never get pregnant, except as soon as your facility starts to tank, you should be pregnant immediately, mm-hmm. but only when you are fully able to support it and go back to work straight away. Mm. I love you so a, much
2: right
3: now. It's a, it's 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 a bit of a, it's right. a There's a tiny window where socially you're yeah. allowed to. But they spend if the whole of all your children. Basically, you are being criticised no matter what. Mm. Yeah,
1: unless you are financially viable, get pregnant on your 27th birthday, give birth to one very neat child, and then manage to go back to work while still being like a full-time parent. Um, and never complain then about you it, might and get really thin afterwards. Just about be okay. Yes. Just, just, just,
3: just about. You, you just. wouldn't want to do too well, because no. then you're intimidating. No. Well, you
1: know you can do well, but you have to be very quiet and modest about mm. it. Yes. Nobody's allowed to know that you're doing well. <laughs> but you're also not allowed to complain. It seem, seems normal. nobody Shut likes to It's a good system, yeah. isn't it? No one
0: likes
3: a whiner. It's pretty flawless, actually.
1: Yeah,
3: it really is. The, this stereotype that women don't really enjoy sex and that we shouldn't be enjoying it and shouldn't want it is something that really baffles my mind because we've known since, what, the 50s, 60s, since the The, the biggest, Kinsey. Yes. This was the biggest study ever conducted. And this, they is Kinsey, have, so this is the Kinsey report that we're talking about. If yes, you haven't read it, it's very long. Uh, but on Wikipedia, they have the highlights. And basically, they've proven that women have got a higher pleasure potential than men do. Yeah. And yet, there's still people out there that think that, yeah, women don't really want sex. Well, I think there's something about women probably don't want mediocre sex. We're getting to a point where, um, you know, women realize, well, hang on a moment, sex can be for me too. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be me trying to serve my partner, but it can be really awesome for me. Yeah. And I think that's the place that we need to get to, because if you're having really good sex, mm, oh boy.
1: On the topic of the Kenzie Report, there's a really... So I always I always think that uh, one of the best things it did was... So there's a thing on the Kenzie Report where you work out your um, sexual orientation on a grade of zero to six. So instead of gay, straight, bi, and then all the other ones, you, you, can, you give yourself a number. So if you're very, very straight... You are a Kinsey zero, and if you're very, very gay, you're a Kinsey six. But I really like the idea that you can kind of pick. You can be a sort of zero point five, or you hmm. can be a like you're not, you're not you not wouldn't have sex with women, but you like to check them out every now and again. Yeah, a, I think it's a much cooler and more fluid way to define your sexuality. Yeah, fluidity to it. So what would you be? You Kinsey zero. You can um, like Kinsey in a zero point one. It's oh, interesting. Because
2: I'm woke, I really want to say that I'm like a (laughs) 0.1 or a 0.2, but if I'm honest, I think I am... Easier, yeah. I am straight and I think I've always been straight and I think I'll always be straight, but that's just mm. as I've always been attracted to men and I haven't had desires to be with women. But maybe that will be something that changes. But it wasn't where like lots of my girlfriends went through um, a stage perhaps like at school or like I mean I don't know, or, or longer or whatever. Yeah, uh, that I never uh,
1: kind of that experimental
2: girlfriend. stage never really happened for me. Yeah. Um, but here's hoping maybe
1: one day I'll turn around. <laughs> your sexuality so, will match the rest of your brand.
3: Yeah. Well, there's there's hope because what we found is the women that over, that are over forty five value their sexuality a lot more and they start to explore a lot more. So mm. hang in there. Yeah, forty five. But, but also, but, you can explore without wanting to sleep with women. There are lots of ways to explore. Yeah, this is true.
2: Yeah, I mean, my, my best friend's gay, and um, only it was really only after university that she kind of realised that she was interested in women and she started seeing women and she was like, ah, okay, like That's this makes what it sense. Was. And. Mm. Um, but I've realised also like, like in the, in the report that it is very fluid and she's in a relationship with a woman and there is still that element that they could go back to the other way and that is something that underpins um, their, their relationship is that you're never just one thing and in one state and it's a bit of a fear that perhaps one day they'll be like, actually now I feel straight or now I want to be with men. Mm. And so it, it's a different dynamic. I don't think you just find your sexuality
1: and that's it. It's yeah. always
2: evolving and changing. Yeah.
1: I think... Generally speaking, I, mean, I I find it frustrating people scrub themselves being pan pansexual because i feel like surely that i I still don't fully understand Mm. why pan is different from bi Mm. um or or just saying i thought but then but the the point of pan is that you fall in love with anybody based on their personality and who they are rather than their gender and i think broadly speaking i would imagine most of us are pansexual Mm. in the sense that we all have the capacity to fall in love with anybody but we all have different traits that we prefer Mm. which tend to present more in male and female people yeah and that is tend to be how it kind of works definitely
3: yeah also, I think we might have a preference for genitalia.
1: Yeah. well, so this is a, But this is a very tricky one because um, you're... So I am very strongly pro-penis. I love a penis. I'm, I really need a penis in my life. Um, it's a good, sound. I, it's a good somebody, soundbiter, somebody, yeah. so I, I've been called transphobic before for saying that I wouldn't date a man with a vagina. Really? Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that's transphobic. I think that's that I like penises. But that is apparently a preference that is not or shouldn't be publicly stated. And I find that very frustrating. So I think you're right. Some people do have gen- do have genitalia preferences. Um, and that is acceptable, surely.
3: I think that, yes, because that is your sexuality. You mentioned earlier you like to have penis in your life. So why should you de- deprive yourself of that? What I would consider transphobic is if you didn't want to date a trans man um, despite maybe him now having a penis because he was misgendered at birth Mm. that I would Mm. see as transphobic because you are not accepting him as he is right now my thing
1: is I don't think I would have gone out with somebody who couldn't have children because I really want children and I would I would find that that to me would be a, a really mm. hard limit. And I would, but again, get that transphobic where people would. But that yeah, that feels very like I'm not allowed to say it. But I if I had known that my husband were unable to have children, I probably wouldn't have been with him because I knew that I wanted to have my own children biologically with my partner. And and I and I think I would struggle with that with a trans person. Is that are you allowed to I don't know,
2: are you allowed to say that? I think you are allowed to say that. I think well you're 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 famous for saying whatever you
3: want <laughs> I think Rebecca Reed is certainly allowed to say that. And and also I, I think political correctness I think is very important and I'm I'm really pleased as much as the older generation calls the millennials snowflakes, I think we have never had such a heightened sense of respect for everybody else's opinions mm. and, and lifestyles, which I think is a great thing. But it also shouldn't come at a cost of what we want and how we want to live our life. If if having children is what you have identified as something you absolutely want in your life and um, you don't want this through adoption or, or through any other means, you want this through having a penis owner in your life that is fertile, who puts a baby in your belly and this is what you want in your life, then that is your choice and that is your life. And you have autonomy, or should have autonomy, over your own body to make these decisions. Um, I think it only becomes problematic if you then op- uh, impose that opinion on yeah. other people that oh, yeah. you should also have children because you do have a womb. You should be dating someone with a penis. Yeah. They should be putting a baby in your belly, and that's the only way to live your life. And
1: I think also sometimes that um, that desire to uh, be with somebody who was who was born with a penis. Um, is like kind of co-opted into a much wider narrative about disliking people and excluding people and that and that. And I, and I think the problem is because of the behaviour of some transphobic people, it has made conversations that are respectful about trans issues very, very hard to have because it, it becomes just a massive screaming from angry transphobes and then reactive trans activists just shouting with Mm. none of that nuance in the middle Mm. and that becomes very frustrating um julia uh, sorry we have been joined by julius my
4: name's julius i work as a a psychotherapist and counselor i have a general practice and do a lot of work uh, particularly with young people people in their 20s or so both male and female who have a lot of issues around anxiety and stress and if you like meaning in life and a question of where everything is so and I've been doing this for a number of years, a question all
1: the time. <laughs> um, so actually, that would be very interesting just to go back to earlier in this conversation. Um, so Sarah recently um, spearheaded a study about a young... Uh, and one of the things that came out of it that Jelly and I were very surprised by is that young people are apparently uncomfortable talking about sex. Could
3: you just tell I mean, Julius yeah, the, yeah, the top line? Yeah, and less comfortable having sex as well. So what we found that women between 25 and 34 who were straight and single were the dem- demographic that were the least comfortable with sex?
4: If this, is, this is a huge topic at the moment and a very, very interesting question. And I think there are so many things that actually feed into this, uh, running from, from societal expectations, background, guilt around sex through historic religion, guilt around bodies, uh, the embarrassment of parents talking about sex or about their own bodies when the children are young, and therefore that's the pattern that develops. And of course, rather tragically, the whole question of possible potential abuse and bullying uh, that we find in schools and in young people. And I think that you, you 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 talk about women in that age group having particular problems. My own experience sort of shows that a lot of young men have a real problem with sex too, particularly in their 20s, because they don't know what their roles are in life. And it was interesting just listening to you earlier on talking about gender and transphobia. And I think there's a lot there about what do people understand, what do people fear and and where is it all going? Because people do fear the things that they don't understand. Mm, And this feeds into everything. And for me, it's not so much about genitalia. It is more about gender and how people see themselves and how they're accepted by others. Although I do take the point that it's biological and personal choice as to whether women want babies and how and, and so on. And I think it's a very big topic. Mm.
1: So that's, that's really interesting. You are talking about the sort of um, men in flux in terms of sex. Do you think that the current men in their 20s... Um, or better or worse off in in their attitudes to sex than previous generations. Yes.
4: I I think that they find it more difficult now. Uh, I, I I think there are some studies on this, but I think that one of the problems with this is that whether we like it or not, historically, previously, whilst things may not have been right or liberated or particularly good, there are a lot of boundaries, and people had an understanding of where they fitted in with the sort of male stereotype. A role model a, a female uh, stereotype role model those role models may be wrong and they may not be where they should be but they knew where they were mm-hmm. whereas now a lot of men don't know whether they're supposed to just putting it at a very base level whether they're supposed to hold doors open for, for, for women or not mm-hmm. uh,
1: second thing though because you just don't drop a door on someone. Well, you I just hold the door open for everyone, surely. Which is exactly
4: what I do. That's weird, isn't it? Well, I think it's well. Personally, I think it's weird, but some some people have were, uh, reacted really badly to that type of thing, which I find quite bizarre. Do for you me as really? Yes, apparently.
1: I because I again I hear this. I've never. I don't know anybody who's ever had direct experience of someone being like, "How dare you?" But we don't that have, door have ultra
3: ultra me. feminist friends. We do have. I we do. do. Tonight, I am an, an ultra, ultra ultra feminist. <laughs> mm. Also, I think sometimes it depends on how it's done. Because I have been on on a, a few dates with someone quite a while ago who did this thing where he would order me to stay in the car until he would come rather and oh, open the door. Oh, I find that very weird. In in which case, I always felt like saying, fuck you. <sighs> yeah. I have opened my own doors for 30 years. I'm still capable of doing that. So if, because then it it didn't seem like a courteous thing. It was a woman, you sit, I open door. That's control. But
4: that's a question, that's a controlling thing, isn't it? And I agree with you. There's a complete difference in role models and control and using that in that way and just that openness and common courtesy that one would extend to everybody Mm. irrespective of sex or gender. But in
1: terms of the door thing, I think that the reality, it's not that men are, I think that men are not being confused by actual women turning around saying how dare you hold that door I think they're being confused by a media conversation about women don't want doors held open for them anymore and I think it's a myth that women are going to get angry about that but whether it's true or not men are clearly still being affected
4: by it there is yes there is that societal feeling that's that's around about how how do these young men behave around women Mm. and and maybe maybe it's the same with women. How do how do young women behave around men? Uh, because I think, I think, I think there women, may be some parallels.
1: I don't think it's changed that much. I think the the rules have always been try not to get raped. Yeah. And, um Oh I totally then,
4: get that. Yeah. That's,
1: that's the, but the majority of the way that women are taught to interact with men is don't get raped. Mm. And that is literally it. Like right. that, as if you have any think, control yeah, over that. Exactly, yes, yeah.
2: Yes. I do feel like we've talked a big game about like sex in a post me too world and how everything's changed and everything's got more sanitized, but I don't know that that's from a female side. I don't know. I haven't really heard my female friends wanting guys to be a bit more cautious, like in the way that they approach them in a bar. I think it's more from a male side that they're now more afraid and they're more they're more anxious about how
1: they but, go up to women and stuff like that I think they're being made afraid by a machine that doesn't want them to behave well the reality is the the vast majority of people know how to behave politely Mm. going up to somebody in a bar and saying you look really nice tonight can i buy you a drink is not offensive Mm. going up to a girl in a bar and saying i want to fuck you Mm. is rude Mm. and most people know how to not be rude Mm. and i think that men are being bombarded with these messages about you might go to prison if you give the wrong compliment when the Mm. reality is that's never going to happen. Yeah. But if you grab somebody's arse on the street, yes, you might get in trouble. Yeah, they're
2: making sense. So scary. Yeah. And also
1: means that no one really knows how to talk about it But either. I'm just so deeply sceptical that anybody who is moderately educated and has a sort of you know, average IQ would really not know whether it was okay or not to stick your hand up someone's skirt in a club.
4: Mm. I think you're absolutely right. But I think that there is some added confusion here. Uh, with the advent and the availability freely of pornography, mm-hmm. oh yeah, uh, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are, as particularly young men and some some boys at the age of ten, yes, younger,
1: mm-hmm.
4: yeah, uh, are are watching this stuff.
1: I was eleven the first time I saw. Porn okay, porn. you yeah. were
4: eleven, and and it's almost normalizing mm-hmm. violence, and well, obviously there are various grades of yes. pornography, but I think that some of the stuff that these people are seeing, it almost normalises mm. uh, women as being sex objects who like this sort of stuff.
1: And lots and of women do. So, in and, a
4: context of a loving relationship, so, perhaps.
1: Oh, no, not necessarily, on one right. night stand, but but you've consented to it. And then the difference, that's the difference. So my husband was telling me on the weekend, that apparently when he was a child, so my husband is 11 years older than me, when he was a child, it was a really exciting day in their teens if they found Paul in a bush. And apparently this is a real thing that used to happen. People, men used to buy porn magazines and then obviously didn't want to take them home to their marriage or whatever, so they'd shove it in a bush. And then teenage boys would find the porn in the bush and it would be like a really great day. And some of my other male friends like, yeah, I remember that. Like, I'm asking our producer about, have you ever heard of this? Yeah, he's nodding. Mm. Um, finding porn in a bush is a thing that happens with boys. So that, that was like, like a, it was, but it was like a, bush. but it's like a exciting, oh, yes. titillating, oh, yes, it's, it's a magazine and it's a great day because you've seen some boobs and maybe a labia, but oh. it's exciting and it's on paper. Ten years later, mm. my husband and I are not, um, ten years is not a huge age gap, but if I'd seen a porn man in a bush, I would have been like meh because I knew that I could get thousands of gigabytes of hardcore gangbangs at the click of a finger. I wouldn't have bothered to pick the point up. It's so accessible. Yeah,
4: that's absolutely the difference.
1: And I was always... I mean, I was... um, I've always been interested in BDSM. That was sort of a pre-sexual fascination for me. I was all—I always knew I was kinky. Um, but I used to meet men who were in their 60s and had nev- and had only worked out that they wanted to do spanking in their 50s. And I'd been able to find communities of people who wanted spanking from the age of 14. Obviously, I couldn't join them because that would have been very wrong. But I knew it was there. And then I think the same thing for any other niche fetishes. You can find... You can see that there is a world for you if you need it. Which has made a lot of people feel a lot less alone. But it's also made really, really kinky sex very normal, which is why mm. our friends are going on Tinder dates where guys try to slap them or spit in their face or choke them, which, if you're not expecting it and you haven't negotiated,
3: is quite frightening. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think when it comes to pornography, I, I think you're mentioning something there that I think is a great upside. And also not having to go into a DVD store, into this CD area in order to enjoy it. You know, now you can just go online. Nobody needs to know about it. So you you have access to it a lot more freely. I think where it becomes problematic is because um, in this country and possibly every country, we just lack good sex education. Mm, totally. um, to put it in context. What, exactly, because what we learn is how to or how not to make a baby. So what we learn is reproduction yeah. not sexuality we don't yeah. learn about pleasure we don't learn about consent yeah so when when we see pornography and we don't understand that just like Hollywood movies they mm. depict a fantasy they do not show real life and neither are they meant to yeah if you enjoy anal sex and you get a bit of chocolate on your dick that's how it works but mm-hmm. you would never see that in pornography it is sanitized in yeah. a way any conversation around consent beforehand would be, you know, wouldn't be very entertaining to have on camera. So, all of you that that would out. Out.
1: So it also, the quality of it used to be that if you wanted porn, you had to pay for it, which meant the quality was higher. So, there's some yes. there's a provider called kink.com who make kinky porn. And at the end, they make very, very violent videos. And then at the end, they have an interview where the girls are like gone, had a shower, and they're sitting all the actors sit together and they have like a five minute chat about the experience of filming it. And like, it's like the, the behind the scenes. Mm. So, you see them. Being restored to equality with the male actor who was probably like hitting them or whatever before, um, and and that comes at the end. So it, it's it's provided in a context. Now, when those films are cut to put on free porn sites like UPorn, that is removed. Mm. So but even the actors not paying
3: point. for it. Yeah. So the the thirteen year olds, what are they more yeah, more likely exactly. to access? Well, they're not, not going to take <laughs> <out> a subscription. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that that's why I think it becomes damaging, and that's why. Um, you know, there was um, Toby Orenstein has done a fantastic TEDx talk about this, where she talks about um, intimate injustice, um, where they've, they went around college campuses in the US and they were asking young people about what good sex is. And for the boys, it was for having an orgasm. For the girls, it was for it not being painful. Yeah. That's a pretty low bar. Mm-hmm. And I think... That's because the, the boys and there was a program here in the UK and um, I think it was called Sex in Schools where one of the boys in the classroom said, oh, yeah, and then I fuck her and then I come in her face. And he was challenged for that. So what if she doesn't want that? Well, she agreed to having sex with me. So mm. I come on her face. That's what they do in porn. This is how it works. Like, yeah. actually, no, you need to get consent yeah. for that. And they don't learn that they've been shown something different and they're not taught differently. Mm. And, not, and actually, there's a there's a technical reason for the coming on the face
1: thing. I think it's that when they started making porn, the way the lighting worked, it wasn't it wasn't easy enough. You couldn't pick up. Um, semen when it was leaving somebody's body or even on their torso because of the lighting. So it, whereas if you do on someone's face, they can point their face up to the light. Wow. So boys are having sex in a specific. Well, we're both having sex, but boys have been taught to have sex in a specific way purely because somebody's cameraman couldn't get the right angle mm-hmm. and it became a trend. So it's terrifying.
3: Crazy.
4: Wow, but isn't it what you're saying about sex education at schools? And you, and you absolutely pick that up correctly. But the other thing that they really don't focus on in the whole of this is not only the consent issue, but also the whole thing around the emotions that go with relationships. What does it actually mean? what 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 should the parties be exploring what should they be doing and of course it doesn't need to are you right it doesn't need to be in a loving relationship necessarily it can mm-hmm. be sex for well, sex well, safe it one be, night stand oh, yeah, of
1: course, course it gets, but you're allowed of to but both of those things you can have You. you I think I think what I see a lot of is the understanding that you have feelings feelingsy sex in a relationship or no feelingsy sex on a one night stand but nobody ever talks about the fact that you might have some feelings
4: on a, a exactly, one night stand that's exactly it and I think a lot of what you're talking about here is the whole issue of communication, mm. communication between mm. between the parties, whether it's the boy, girl, boy, boy, girl, girl, whatever, mm. or groups, whatever it is. It's that whole thing around communication. What is the understanding? What's permitted? And what are the safe bounds? And what do, what is the signal? Say no more.
1: But I think, well, part of the problem also is that um, couples, as in romance, as in sexual partners, for one night or, or a couple of nights, if you meet on Tinder or you meet in a bar or whatever and you know that it's a short-term, temporary thing, there's almost this understanding that you don't owe each other any kind of communication. Mm. And actually, I think you still do, yeah. if, if nothing else, just to be sure of consent. Mm.
4: But isn't that actually a fundamental part of human relationship? Mm. The whole thing about the whole thing around communication. And that's not isolated to the sexual encounters. It's with every every part of life. It's holding the door open. It's it's the one night stand. It's a relationship that's going somewhere. It's having a coffee with somebody. It's it's all about communication. Mm. Sure, the nature of it's different. Yeah. And the the impact may be different, but it is about talking and openness and and knowing what is permitted and what isn't mm-hmm. and having that consent. Yeah.
3: We were talking earlier, or I was sharing earlier about how important I think it is that we talk. And yes. what we find at our events that we want to give women a space where they can talk. And um, every now and then we have someone asking, why don't you include men in that conversation? And the answer is very simple, which is a lot of women are not comfortable to talk about sex, Period. So they need a space to be provided where they can explore that first. Um, and it's almost like a test run. So within our community, they start talking about sex. And we, we encourage those conversations by getting different speakers in, by opening up that conversation. And then they, they can build their confidence in having those conversations. For some of them, they've never even uttered the word masturbation.
2: Mm. And it's a confidence thing I think having men around just changes the dynamic it changes the energy
3: absolutely it's,
2: um, I just wanted to touch on it because it's something that's come up this is the uh, this is the last episode of this season and, and we've talked a lot this season it's come up in conversation a lot about casual sex and about one night stands and the feeling that I've got I don't know if Bex you feel the same is that as much as we'd like to think that one night stands and casual sex are all fun and games and they're really uh, they're fun and they're enjoyable for everyone actually they're a lot more complicated then we let on. And especially for women, casual sex is perhaps not as straightforward. And a lot of the kind of horror stories that we've heard throughout the season have been from incidents of casual sex where, and it's obviously just from casual sex, the communication isn't there. Do you feel like we're having more casual sex than ever? And do you think that that is having like a knock-on on to mental health and also onto relationships between the sexes?
4: I, I think the the first thing that I would say on that is that casual sex can hit very deep in terms of people's psychological makeup. Mm. And there are things that can go on in those types of relationships that can really hit earlier traumas, earlier experiences of life, things around security, insecurity, uh, things around abuse, and so on. So there's a real danger that people can actually be more and more damaged through going through more and more casual sex, seeking to find love, but actually... Becoming more and more damaged in the process. I'm, I'm saying that from a psychotherapeutic point of view, mm-hmm. as opposed to the sort of practical things, which I'm sure Sarah will mm-hmm. talk a bit more about.
3: I've, even from the practical side, I would completely agree. And one thing that I, one of the most annoying myths that keeps staying around is that sexual empowerment equals sleeping around and it absolutely does not mean that at all um, sexual empowerment means that you know your own desires you know what you want you've got your boundaries in place and I think very often um, when we talk about sex positivity people think oh I want to be all sex positive so I'm going to go and sleep around but they haven't done the work on themselves so mm. they don't yet know what they want they don't really know what they are game for mm. um, they don't have their boundaries in place they're not comfortable communicating. So. If they bump into someone who's just really up for it, and then they want to do things that the other person doesn't want to do, they don't have the tools to say, actually, you know what? This is sort of really not what I want. Um, and that's how they then get themselves into situations, and they just go with it potentially because also they don't want to disappoint, they don't want to, you know, want to be seen in a certain way, so they just go with it. Um, and sometimes there is that expectation. Right. Um, there has been a really great article written by, by Frankie Cookney about sex positivity and, and people almost using that against someone. So, what, what do you mean you don't do anal? You're sex positive. Mm. Yeah, that's how I know that for me that's an exit only and I might not enjoy that. And you are okay to say no, no to things as much as you can say yes to things. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think... I think that I think casual sex can be fantastic and I think for some people sex actually genuinely isn't a big deal and they can have quite a lot of casual sex and it'll be fine for other people casual sex can be very hurtful. I think really it depends what you're trying to get out of it. If you want interesting life experiences to see the inside of various different London rental homes and um, <laughs> to see, the, see things experiencing great. If you're trying to fuck your way to a meaningful relationship mm. through sex had at 3am after half a line of Mandy it's not going to happen <laughs> mm-hmm. so I think it, it really depends what you want to get out of it I think the real thing is being honest with yourself about yeah, what you're going to get out
5: that's,
2: of it that's my issue with it is I have I'm, I have a friend in particular who has had a lot of casual sex over the last few years and she's not happy and I know deep down it's because she wants a boyfriend and mm. the casual sex is just something that she's doing she's kind of hoping that it'll come out of it yeah. and if she was being really honest with herself it's not fulfilling her and it's making her quite sad because it's not it's not the box that she actually wants to tick but she's yeah. just you know you fall into these holes with a tinder and then and then that's what it is so I think you're right doing the work on yourself to understand if you're strong enough, like mentally to actually and then
4: Fine. I think uh, can I just pick up on that mentally yes but also I think there's often a self-worth issue uh, mm-hmm. with this and so that's about and you, you've touched on already about working with the self to understand one's own issues to become confident in oneself and then to be in a positional strength to make those choices because if we're looking for love and validation out there because we feel rubbish within ourselves, Mm. it's not going to happen. It's just going to make us worse and worse. But, of course, you're right. This is a big, big picture, and Mm. there are many people who have a wonderful time and are very happy and do it through choice. Others are dragged into it because Mm. they feel they have no choice, and others want to find a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it may be, and think that's the way to it, and usually doesn't work. Mm.
1: Yeah, and there might be the occasional unicorn who... Who, for whom it does work. There is the occasional I think,
4: unicorn. Yeah,
1: there really but I, is. But I, no, absolutely. <laughs> but I think uh, the vast majority of people I know who are in relationships with somebody they really love and are in a sort of healthy relationship with didn't meet them through consecutive many, many, many one night stands. Mm. Um, or when they did, they knew very quickly. And and both these people were very open about their feelings to start with. I think the problem I have with One Night Stands is um, I watch people I love uh, going going on these One Night Stands over and over and over again where any kind of communication afterwards is considered being clingy. Mm -hmm. And that is what I find really... It's it's actually not the sex. It's the fact that the person afterwards doesn't even want to go for a cup of coffee. Not to become husband and wife, just purely because you are two people who have shared an experience.
3: I think that's really frustrating. Mm. But I think that people just need to be really honest with themselves about what it is they want. Because if it is a um, a one-eyed stand, I think the appeal there is that I don't know you from Adam. I'll never have to see you again. Mm. So I don't have to worry about what you think about me and I can just go for it. Um, personally, I've, I've gone through a, a period of time where I did have casual sex, but with more what I would call fuck buddies. Um, so it was a regular thing yeah. because I had a couple of one night stands and they just weren't worth my time mm. because where he knew he would never see me again, he couldn't be bothered. Mm. And I, i like, nobody's like receptacle. Most one night
2: stands are the worst sex you're so, ever going to have because yeah. you're not yeah. talking. But if, bar, if it's like
3: something regular, you, you can have a really good sexual relationship with someone without having a view of mm. being yeah. in a relationship. If but you're in you place to... mentally to detach your yes, feelings yeah. a bit. Though. And that's my point. You have to know what it is you are after. And also, I think you don't have to assign yourself to something for the rest of your life. Mm. If that is right for you right now, like for me, that was a phase. Now I've been abstinent for two years because that's what is right for me right mm. now. I'm just not interested in, in all of that malarkey Right now, maybe because I talk about sex all day these mm. days, I'm like, I, I don't have to. like work anymore. in a chocolate
2: factory. Yeah, <laughs> yes. done
3: with it. Can't yeah. look at the stuff. I don't think I would ever stop eating chocolate. <laughs> Nor <laughs> I, I really
4: like. <laughs> especially dark chocolate.
1: <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> Thank you so, Thank much, you so guys. much for
2: your expertise. That's Fantastic. A yes. If people would like to find out more about you or, or hire your services, where, where can they find out about it online?
4: Uh, well, my, my website address is www.talktherapylondon.com. Ah. And that's got my contact details.
3: If they like to come along to a talk? Well, they can find us on scarletladiesuk.com. <laughs> Um, And across all social media networks, we're Scarlet Ladies UK and um, we have events going on every single week, always on a Tuesday evening. So they can come along to that and just look out for um, more information about the survey you can find under hashtag TalkSexChangeLives.
1: Fantastic. Um,
0: Thank you guys so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: and now a word from our sponsor
1: this week's episode of the climax is brought to you in association with love honey the uk's most popular online shop for buying adult toys and lingerie whether you're looking for a toy for you and your partner something for solo play or some sexy new lingerie you'll find everything you need at love honey from 50 shades of gray inspired bondage kits to happy rabbits love honey has it all for more information and to discover the fun for yourself visit www.lovehoney.co.uk What's more, we've got an exclusive discount for the Climax listeners. Visit lovehoney.co.uk forward slash theClimax to get 15% off. So we are now going to talk about our favourite toys that we tried all season. Mm. And because we are such good, altruistic, kind people, we've tried a lot of sex toys. Well it's a tough gig,
2: but you know, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to
1: do it. So, um, Giles, what are your two favourite toys that you've tried this season?
2: So there are two standouts for me. The first one would be the sonar. Cruise by Lilo, which is available on Love Honey. Um, I loved it. Don't think I've tried a sex toy quite like it. I feel like Sony sex toy brands talk a big game about tech and it being really revolutionary and really different. The Sony Cruise for me was so different. Like it wasn't something I'd ever felt or experienced before, and the orgasm I had from it was totally different. So I really liked that. I do think um like you said when we talked about that product that it is something you have to be mindful of that you could easily take that and not use any other toy again and yeah. you, it is quite an addictive sex toy yeah. because it just feels so good and so different yeah. so i have been a bit mindful of that of trying to like
1: mix it it's, up it's a special treats toy <laughs>
2: yes not yeah not not one for every day mm-hmm. yeah it's it's not your nike
1: trainers it's your yeah. like Nice boots. I I was actually going to say the sona was my favourite. Really, as well. sorry, did I steal um, it from you? You stole it from me. It is. It's, it genuinely is quite revolutionary. But as you said, I was quite tempted to make it my like standard go to, but that could be a little bit dangerous because it is a very very different sensation from sex. Um, a lot of sex toys mimic what you can do with another person, whereas this sona does something that a human couldn't achieve Yeah. so you want to use it mindfully and you want to use it carefully so I would also give like a highly commended to the Aura which is um, a Lila product also available on Love Honey uh, which is the one that has kind of like a bead inside it that moves around in circles to sort of mimic oral sex does it Does it
2: feel like oral sex
1: doesn't feel like oral sex but it's similar it's a similar sensation and it's just it's really nice I mean what what else can you say about a sex toy really it was really nice <laughs> it felt really good what would your second place
2: be
3: given to
1: oh I think one of the happiest rabbits
2: by love honey Mm -hmm. so um we tried a couple of them they have a g-spot one and a thrusting one um and you tried the one which kind of goes in everywhere yeah um the butt one the butt one i liked the g-spot one i thought it was a good good solid sex toy it was it was fun it was easy to use it had a good amount of variety to it and it was just one that i'd recommend if you're like looking to move away from just vibrators and you're a bit bored of just like the kind of click focused Mm. sex toys like i liked the the happy rabbits and there's also a lot of science and tech behind them they've been working on them behind the scenes um for a number of years to to create this product and you
1: kind of feel that it does feel like quite a special product i think also they put a lot of thought into the vibration patterns they're very smart about what they can do all the settings are quite different from each other and they all achieve different things Mm. so most people will be able to find a setting they really enjoyed on the happy rabbits Mm. what was your number two uh, I think my second favorite will probably actually be the pinwheel from Love Honey. Because really? Love Honey do such great like BDSM basics. Like they're they're not they're not hugely expensive. They're really well made. They're very reliable. And I just that's something I really appreciate about the fact that you don't have to go to like a specialist out outlet anymore and spend loads of money mm-hmm. if you want to have slightly kinky sex. You can get it for a really really decent price for a great quality on Love Honey. Which yeah. Is, One of the things I really like about Love Honey, one of the reasons I'm really glad we partnered with them and Lilo over the series. That's it. Well,
2: if you guys are interested in any of those products,
1: we have an exclusive uh, discount
2: code for our listeners. If you go to lovehoney.co.uk forward slash The Climax, you get 15% off. You do indeed. And you can thank us later. So this week's episode of The Climax, we are talking about um, sex in the 21st century and we've been sent some questions by our listeners this week. So I'm very pleased to be talking by Katrina. Please can you introduce
5: yourself, tell us a little about yourself. Hi, nice to meet you. Um, I'm Katarina, I'm oh, full name Katarina Georgiou, I'm a counsellor um working with clients in London, both in private practice and in a GP surgery once a week. Um yep, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and um you're gonna be helping us out with some
1: of the questions that our listen to sent in. Yeah. So uh first one we've got uh, is from I'm not going to read her name out, that would be really bad. Um, but she says, uh, my boyfriend does not orgasm. He gets hard and he enjoys sex, but he just doesn't seem to ejaculate. Is it something wrong with me, and is it a problem? So
5: one of my initial thoughts as I was hearing that was about the idea of whose fault it seems to be, like she seems to, to mention, is it me, is it him? And one thing I would suggest is not looking at it so much as a who is at fault, but considering how this is something between the two of them, it's, it's it's both of their issues in a way and how they can support each other to understand each other's feelings around it so whatever's whatever she might be feeling in response to him not being able to orgasm first of all noticing how she feels about herself from that and maybe encouraging a conversation with him about how he feels about it also and getting the two of them to have a conversation yeah i think my first
1: sort of thing would be i guess i i would want to know is this, has he always not orgasmed or is it that he doesn't come with her? Mm. Because if it's, if, I mean, there are like physiological reasons that people can't orgasm, like having too tight of a foreskin or all kinds of other issues. Um, if it was that, I think I could totally understand it. If, if he had always been able to orgasm with other girlfriends and then was struggling with me, I would find that probably a bit worrying.
2: Yeah. I interesting what you said about how she feels when he doesn't orgasm because that's, my, whenever I've had experiences with perhaps the with guy who like couldn't get it up or we like had something that was like sexually perhaps like a bit awkward and not quite what you're we expecting I always took it on myself yeah I always felt bad I always felt insecure afterwards and it's so funny because I think if it was the other way around I don't know that a guy would be super concerned perhaps about whether whether or not it was something he was doing just like oh well, that's her and mm. um, and I think that sensitivity on the female side is very
1: common
5: yeah it is. Um, I mean, one thing I, I I can say, like from both from when you're mentioning if it was on the other way around, um, I do have experience with um, clients where that does happen the other way around. And I think you're right that sometimes um, there can be two things going on. Like the, I think the person who has the issue can feel something and not recognize that the other partner might be feeling a certain way in response as well and and likewise the other way around like there can be i think a lot of it is a miscommunication sometimes between mm-hmm. the two around what they're really feeling what they fear what they're worried about how they're being perceived what they want from it and how to work together with it i think there's something about the togetherness that mm. sometimes it's
1: missing. I think women very often have a propensity to take on fault either way. So if they can't orgasm, they think it's their fault because their body doesn't work or they're not relaxed enough or they're not enough into sex. And if their partner doesn't orgasm, they think it's because they're not sexy enough or they're not doing it right. But either way, women tend to take on blame.
5: So I think it's something about naming. So first of all, um, recognising what she's feeling in response to it first and really starting to unpick some of that. So where's it actually coming from? Is it from a history of this happening? Is it because she's used to um, feeling like she can always... You know, whenever she's been with someone, it's always worked, and this is different. Like, really starting to notice what it is about the issue that's affecting her, and then being able to name it with her partner and actually bringing it up and saying, you know. I'm aware that this is happening. This is how I'm impacted. I'm curious to know how it's impacting you and how mm. we can how we talk
1: about it together. I think, also, I would if I were her, I would be inclined to um, find out whether it's just penetrative sex versus a problem. Mm. So is he, does he orgasm from um, hand jobs or oral sex, in which case it's... And find out whether it is specific to penetration or whether it is an overall thing because it, that would be interesting. And also, I guess that the part of the conversation is whether there's a kind of, um, an element of like trauma there. Mm. I know that some people who have, um, been in an accidental pregnancy situation really struggle with ejaculation afterwards because that's a kind of trauma. Yeah. That, that's like a mental back. block. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So I think she's just, I think, I think absolutely she should, she should be finding out why. But I think she should. Expect that there might be a, a, a deep reason why. And I think maybe only ask if you're willing to really listen. Mm. If, if, she's, if she's not that keen on this guy. And she's kind of could take him or leave him. It's quite a big thing to go into.
2: Yeah, like ask yourself whether or not you're ready to hear the answer. Yeah, I exactly. Yeah. Amazing. So I have another question that was sent in by uh, one of our listeners, and she says, "My boyfriend has started to make comments about my clothing and appearance, such as he doesn't like what I'm wearing. It's really getting me down, and I don't know what's the best way forward. How do I talk to him about this? I feel like it's affecting our sex life too." presumably it's affecting her sex life because i suppose maybe affecting her confidence in the relationship or you know bringing up insecurities in the relationship
1: what are your thoughts on that um i mean so there's this thing on Mum's Net. whenever somebody writes anything about their husband people just comment ltb which stands for leave the bastard Um and i try not to always give break up with them as the answer but on that case i would be i would be inclined to say break up with them mm. i think people are telling you Mm. they like what you're wearing or how you look that is such a massive red flag mm. and I would be inclined you know in the beginning of a horror film when like when the cup just moved a little bit you're like move house just move house <laughs> that's my instinct with relationships things like
2: it's also can be such a slippery slope like first it's your clothes and it's your parents and then it's something else and then it's like how you're how you are around your friends or yeah. whether or not you're seeing your friends and it, I've, I've seen it happen with friends where it just starts with something quite minor and it can develop I did but that said I did have a friend at university whose boyfriend made quite specific comments about her clothing um, and she she did manage to nip it in the bud so I I, I depend how far along in a relationship you are as well, Like they were quite early days and she was like I just don't like this as behaviour and he, he did stop so maybe it's not an awareness sometimes, I don't know
5: So my thoughts are around empowering herself to allow herself to be angry and frustrated and notice those feelings um, I'd, be, I'd be thinking about other ways in which um she might be feeling undermined other ways in which she might be modifying her behavior how often does she say sorry for things and just take a look at that and notice how she actually allows herself to 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 diminish herself and uh, become more empowered to sort of um feel annoyed about that
2: actually. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's so a that's a good mark of things. Like saying how often she's saying sorry. That's quite yeah. a, I, I was it's quite a simple way of just measuring how how you're doing in your relationship and if you are apologising a lot. Yeah, that's good because so, so often these things I think can slip without you even really noticing that it's just one thing and then it's something else and then before you know it you're in a, a, a relationship that's hard to leave.
1: Yeah, and I think actually any relationship where you feel that leaving would be frightening other than for the reason that you would miss that person or be unhappy that's a very bad sign mm. I think broadly speaking you should not be feeling any fear in a relationship which mm. sounds obvious but in lots of cases aren't I think any situation in which you're nervous about well, your partner's reaction to something is quite a bad one to be in yeah um yeah. it's fine to be a little bit like oh how are they gonna take this but I think to be actually frightened of telling somebody anything is, is very, very worrying. Mm,
2: that's not a healthy sign. for Sure. Well, thank you so much thank for um, for sharing your insights. Um, if people would like to find out
5: more about you and your services, where can they find? Sure. So you can either find me on the counselling directory, which is counselling-directory.org.uk um, or you can find me directly at um or on my podcast, which is sound effects uh, dot pod dot com, but it's sound effects with an a yeah that's music and mental health mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah if you if you find me on my um website you can email me and get in contact or just a general google search with my name will, will work oh, yeah.
1: thank, you so, thank much. you so much You're Gels, it's the end of our last episode of the first ever series The The Climax an end of an era it is the end of a very brief era eight (laughs) weeks
2: is it allowed to be an era if it's only six weeks? it's a very good question we'll be back with season two to tell you the answer to that Um, no seriously if you've enjoyed this uh, season please um, please subscribe please leave us a review we love reviews rate, review tell your friends tell your boyfriend
1: you know more good sex for everyone but also as we've been very clear we only want praise no criticism yeah
2: And we'll be back soon with a second season and we'll be discussing lots of different new topics all around sex and sexuality.
1: But in the meantime, please uh, use the discount code that we offered you, which Mm is um, if you go to www.lovehoney.co.uk forward slash the climax, you get 15% off. Um, Buy toys, have good sex, complain if you're not coming. Any other messages people to take away from
2: this? Um, Talk about consent more. Yes. Yeah. And know your boundaries. (laughs) That is our message. (laughs)
0: been a candy store production hosted by angelica malin and rebecca reed produced by van connor sex with os by mobile steam unit appears under creative commons 3.0 visit candy store productions at candy
1: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer